I invite you to recall when the Lord bid all who labor and are heavy laden to come unto Him, an invitation as compassionate as it is universal. All are invited to find rest in Jesus. As we ponder our rest in Jesus, may we also consider the Sabbath day, a day defined by the Pharisees with guilt, shame, and rejection, while Christ informs us of a different path. How might you and I do well on the Sabbath? I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I find rest in the Lord by approaching Him and by doing the things He's asked me to do. For me to find rest in the Lord comes from making a daily effort to trust Him and to pray for His health and just to rely on Him. Me personally, I find rest in the Lord by remembering Him, remembering the stories He's had through the, all the scriptures, and also trying to follow uh, and keep like, Christ-like attributes. I'll be going through a day and my day's so chaotic, and then I remember to read the Book of Mormon. And the difference in feeling, it's, it's indescribable and in, it's inexplicable, but it's there. When you have the Lord or Christ with you, that uh, everything just becomes like that much easier. Like my experience uh, going through basic combat training, you have some pretty hard days. And like when you think about it, like someone's next to you dealing with it with you, it just becomes easier. I remember going outside and just praying in my mind and like just wanting help, needing reassurance, needing that guidance in my life of making sure I was doing things right, things were going well. And I remember I just had like the distinct impression in my mind, like a thought like, that I'm, doing, I'm doing the right thing, that God is proud of me. I'm on the right track. And that gave me a lot of the assurance I needed and just the direction I needed as well to make sure I can continue on doing the things I was supposed to and give me the confidence booster I needed to continue. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Josh Matson. Josh is a scholar of the Bible and the Dead Sea Scrolls and a religious educator with seminaries and institutes of religion. He and his wife, Erin, are the parents of four children and live in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Josh, welcome. Ben, great to be here. And next to Josh is our special guest, Taylor Halverson. Taylor is a scripture scholar and author, entrepreneur, tour guide, and a professor in the BYU Marriott School of Business. He and his wife, Lisa, have two children and live in Springville, Utah. Taylor, so happy to have you here. Good to join you guys. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Welcome. And to the viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Please continue the discussion with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at byutv.org slash comefollowup. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Matthew chapters 11 and 12 and Luke chapter 11. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we are going to discuss are first, Jesus Christ will give me rest as I rely on Him, and second, do well on the Sabbath days. After exploring these topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll move on to footnotes, which is the segment of the show where we let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Josh and Taylor. Okay, Josh, so as we get into this first topic, Jesus Christ will give me rest as I rely on him. What sort of background can you provide from these chapters we're studying, specifically as it pertains to this first topic? Yeah, so here we are in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, in Matthew 10, the Savior had just 
finished giving the disciples uh, a mission sermon. Uh, think of it as like the MTC. Okay. Uh, so the disciples are getting called and the Savior gives them a sermon and says, I'm going to send you out. And so that finishes a, the second section in Matthew. And then Matthew chapter 11 starts the third section, which is all about questions and opposition that's coming to Jesus. And so the Savior is teaching about how do we handle opposition when others are opposing us? And how can I give you information and knowledge that will help you when others oppose you like they've opposed me? Okay, thank you. Uh, Taylor, uh, what thoughts do you have as we jump into these specific chapters? Yeah, we want to look at what was the culture going on that kept people bound down to traditions that may not have led them to God, but may have made other people in the culture feel good. And part of the burdens Jesus is dealing with is what are the thought patterns or traditions or rituals or cultural expectations that people are imposing upon you that don't come from God and keep you away from him? Okay, well, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. So one of the things that we, uh, as far as these chapters are concerned, that we talk about is this idea of being yoked. Uh, can we talk about a little bit about that and what is, what's the significance and what is Jesus really trying to teach them about what a yoke is and how we can be yoked with him. Yeah, and a yoke is one of the primary devices that would have been used in the ancient world. Those who Jesus is addressing in these scripture passages in Matthew 11 would have been very familiar with a yoke as an implement to help with daily tasks, uh, also as a form of recognition of what belonged to who. The yoke could also be an identifier. Okay. Uh, if an animal was walking around with a yoke, you would know, oh, that belongs to so-and-so. So you get a, a master, um, servant, owner, uh, oni, or even lord and um, disciple kind of relationship that's connected with the yoke. What's also fascinating is in the ancient world at this time, people who did not have means or a lot of resources, might plow their own field, putting on their own yoke. So usually if you had a little more resources, you might be able to afford some animals to do the plowing for you. And so when Jesus is telling us about putting on his yoke, it's almost like you're being asked to do work with him in the fields of God, instead of doing the work that other people have asked you to do that may have nothing to do with building a kingdom or bringing you the rest we all seek in Jesus. And that, and, and that yoke that, that's actually binding you together is almost a symbol of a covenant. Okay. And that's what we'll see in a scriptural sense. And we see this in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 5, where the prophet Jeremiah is saying, you have broken the yoke of the covenant. And so the thing that binds us together uh, with Jesus in, in these verses, if we're plowing in his kingdom, is a covenant. Okay. And that, and so then the yoke becomes a symbol of the law and the covenant that's associated with it. Well, let's go. Can we uh, go in and read some of these verses that specifically talk about being yoked in Matthew chapter 11? Yeah, so let's do Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Uh, so the Savior says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I would love to hear from the audience as we talk about being yoked with Christ. Uh, when have you felt your burdens lifted because you were yoked with Christ? Bird. 
I remember when my children, I have three children, when my children were uh, small, my husband used to go on a, a out-of-state job and I, he would be gone for four months, five months or six months straight. There are days that was really hard. But this one specific day, I was feeling this burden, like I need to get up to make breakfast for these children, <laughs> but I couldn't. I was really heavy. I was just really lonely. Things were getting so hard. But I had this moment, the Spirit whispered to me that these experiences will give you strength. And as soon as I heard that, you know, I got up. My burdens were light. The Spirit was there. The Heavenly Father was looking over me. And what I'm trying to tell is that, you know, when I'm, when I'm counted with the Lord and my yoke is with Heavenly Father, He's there when I needed help. I don't know if there's a, a better example of a modern, your burdens being lifted in a, in a modern situation, you know, as what Christ is trying to help His uh, apostles and disciples understand. This is what it means, you know, to take upon my yoke upon you so that your burdens can be made light. Yeah, and I love that scripture in Mosiah chapter 24, verse 14, uh, and, and the wording that's here. And I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you are in bondage. And this will I do that ye may stand as witnesses for me hereafter. He doesn't say the burden goes away, but he increases our capacity to bear the burden that's going to be there. Uh, I love how uh, Elder Bednar has frequently talked about the enabling power of the mm -hmm. atonement of Jesus Christ. This is when the atonement gives us power to be able to actually carry whatever burdens may be put upon us. Taylor, you've spent a lot of time going to school, studying, putting work, traveling. Uh, how have you felt that some of your burdens have been made light of you as you have tried to juggle and manage everything that you have going on? I find these verses to be super helpful because what I've learned is that when I have the wrong thinking or the wrong ideas, or when I don't see my problems through the lens of Jesus and his love, everything's harder. Mm -hmm. And so I think about, for example, the Sabbath day, which we'll be talking about later that that is a time when my burdens are lifted, where I get to reorient my life around what matters. We all get burdened, physical, emotional, financial, social, relational. When we get ourselves oriented to God and we put our burdens on Him, we have that lifting that happens. And, and Josh, something that I noticed um, in, in verse 28 is, this is not an invitation to stop working, I'll do it all for you. He's specifically talking to those that, look, for those of you that are already working, if you're working, if you're feeling this heaviness, I'll give you that rest. The work isn't gonna go away. The field still needs to be plowed, you know, but with me, we can do it together. Yeah, and, and that word labor, the, the Greek word here also means those who are weary, those who toil, or those who are growing tired. Okay. So it, it, it's almost this idea that the expectation is that the Lord is going to help those who are already putting in effort. And he's going to come as we put the effort in. Uh, this is where I love to talk about the idea that his grace, the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ, comes into our lives while we're doing things. He doesn't wait until the end. It's not do this much and then I'll make up the rest. It's I'm going to help you every step of the way. And so as you are laboring and as you are heavy laden, I want you to come to me and I will give you rest while you're doing it. 
One thing that I've, I've noticed, uh, and Taylor, maybe you can add some insight to this. In verse 29, take my yoke upon you, learn of me. The next phrase, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Why is it important for, for us to understand that as we yoke ourselves with Christ, that he is meek and lowly in heart? In the context of what's going on here, the Pharisees are challenging Jesus as a teacher of God and claiming that he's miseducating the people. And Jesus is trying to educate the people that, no, it's the false traditions of the Pharisees and their fathers that are burdening you, and real meekness is to follow me and to find your real identity in being yoked to me. I, I love this phrase um, and the footnote that's here. So if you look at footnote C in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints edition of, of the Bible there in verse 29, it actually tells you that the Greek here um, is probably better read gentle and humble. So uh, the Greek word for meek there, praus, uh, is this idea of being gentle. Uh, and so this idea that I am gentle, I am going to be gentle as your master as your Lord. I'm not here to rule with an iron fist. And as Taylor was just talking about, uh, the, the Jewish leadership were sometimes harsh in the way that they oversaw people. And so the Savior coming and saying, if you will allow me to be your master, I will be gentle and humble with you because as we know, he loves us and we're not just servants or lowly to him. Taylor, as we kind of wrap up this first topic, uh, I wanted to ask you, can you think of a specific time where you have really felt that you had to rely on that Savior's yoke to get through, a, you know, maybe a trying or difficult time in your life? Some years ago, when I was a college student, I think I misunderstood the gospel. I had heard that I have to be perfect. So, I felt like I wasn't going to partake of the sacrament on the Sabbath day until I was perfect. Okay. Weeks and then months went by. Finally, God kind of knocked into my brain a little bit. Listen, your job is not to make yourself perfect. That's my role. Your job is to access my love and to participate in these covenant-making renewals of the sacrament. And it was so powerful when I finally went and took the sacrament again. Now, the bishop had not asked me to stop taking the sacrament. I had just chosen like, no, no, I will not participate in the atonement until I'm worthy of the atonement. I had misunderstood that the atonement is there to help us to become more like God. When I partook of the sacrament after many months, there was just this powerful feeling of the Spirit of God with me. And God saying, you are my son. I want to be yoked with you. Join with me and I will let my work work out in you and I can make you like me. What a great example. Well, thank you both for sharing your thoughts and insights on this first topic and for the audience. Uh, thanks for sharing uh, with us as well. And for you at home, how has the Holy Ghost guided your efforts to find rest in Jesus? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. The Sabbath matters because it allows us to reset the burdens that have been encroaching upon us during the week. I believe that God has given us the Sabbath day so that we can also rely on Him because it is a beautiful promise that we can come every Sunday and to renew our covenants. For me, it's like sleep. I wake up refreshed. The Sabbath allows me to start my week fresh and aligned to God. There was a quote by Joseph Smith. He says, like, in the church, we 
teach correct principles and let them govern themselves. And I love that quote so much, and I think it can apply to the Sabbath so well because the Sabbath doesn't necessarily mean like we have to do less stuff. I think it can mostly mean like we can do more meaningful stuff, more wholesome stuff, more purposeful stuff. For me, the Sabbath day is just an opportunity to reset from the week and do things differently. It's nice to take a break from social media. It's nice to focus more on my family and talk to them when I might not have an opportunity to for the rest of the week. It's just an opportunity to focus on the Lord and reset and focus in on what I need. The second topic we're going to discuss today is do well on the Sabbath days. I want to start out with some background, if that's okay, of what the Sabbath is, where does it come from, and perhaps why it's plural in the title. Yeah, Ben, this is a great question. And, and one of the things that we know about Sabbath days is the word Sabbath can sometimes be a little confusing in ancient languages because you've got the noun, which is referencing the day, mm -hmm. but then you also get the verb, which is to rest. Uh, and so we oftentimes associate the two together, but it's really interesting that sometimes we should actually separate them. So uh, I love that the Savior here is going to question that definition of, is it just a day of rest? Okay. Or is it something else? And so the Sabbath is a day that was instituted from creation. Uh, we get the seventh day that the Lord rests after creating the earth which is kind of our starting point mm -hmm. for the Sabbath. Uh, and then the commandments uh, we get in the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath day holy. Um, and to come to your question about why is this plural um, is because the Sabbath day or a day of rest or a day of festival renewal uh, wasn't just the seventh day. It wasn't just Saturday for the Jews or Sunday for the early Christians, uh, but there were other holidays uh, which uh, would be days of rest. What are your thoughts, Taylor? Well, we use in our language today the word holiday. It really comes from two words, holy day. Anciently, they'd have these holy days where certain activities and feasts would happen. And so what Jesus is trying to do is liberate people from some of the false expectations that had been accumulated over centuries of interpretation of the scriptures and to liberate people for what the full purpose was of getting back into alignment with God and finding full rest in him. And what I love about what Taylor just said is this is almost the Savior's, I'm taking my day, the Sabbath day, this holy day, I'm taking it back. Can we read some of these verses that teach about, and I think we're in chapter 12, is that correct, where we focus on the Sabbath? Uh, starting in verse 1, I'll go ahead and read this first one. Uh, At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered and began to pluck the ears of the corn and to eat. And this is kind of where this controversy begins, you know, with the Pharisees coming in and questioning what they're doing. What is, what is the explanation that he gives, and how does this kind of give us a starting point of this teaching moment about the Sabbath? Yeah, some insights that we'll just want to be familiar with uh, for those who may be more uh, familiar with corn in the Western concept. That's not what we're dealing with here. This is wheat. Okay. And so when they're plucking um, these uh, growths in the field, this is wheat. Okay. Um, and so they're walking through and they're taking the wheat. And then when it says that they're plucking it and eating it, they're actually kind of crushing it in their hand. This is part of the reason why it's interesting that the Savior is called out by the Pharisees because it looks like they're harvesting okay. and not just ha harvesting, but threshing and beating. 
Okay. And so those are all things that in some Jewish communities are prevented on the Sabbath because as Taylor had mentioned, that's something you did the other six days of the week. And the real challenge here is that we have what are called fence laws. We want to protect people from, say, crossing a boundary or transgressing something that get them into more serious trouble. And the Sabbath is a beautiful day. It's supposed to be a day of delight. All these rules and regulations may have originally had an important purpose or value, but when that becomes the God you serve, mm -hmm. you're not serving God who's intending to serve you by giving you time to rest in him. Ben, if I can tell a story real sure, quick. Please. Uh, I have a four-year-old son, and every morning when he wakes up, the first question he asks is, what day is it? <laughs> uh, and in our home, there's certain things we do on certain days, uh, including the Sabbath. Uh, right now, he's in a situation where when I say, it's Sunday, buddy, he goes, oh, <laughs> man. Uh, and, and it's because of sometimes these fence laws yeah. that we set up and we don't make it a delight because we're saying, how do we teach our children? How do we teach others that this is a set apart day? And sometimes we need those fence laws to get to saying, yeah, this is a different day. Yeah. Uh, but when we take them too far or when they become the focus, that's when we start to get in trouble. And that reminds me of a quote from President Nelson that he, when he talks about uh, how we should treat the Sabbath, he says, I learned from the scriptures that my conduct and my attitude on the Sabbath constituted a sign between me and my heavenly father. With that understanding, I no longer needed lists of do's and don'ts. When I had to make a decision whether or not an activity was appropriate for the Sabbath, I simply asked myself, what sign do I want to give to God? That question made my choices about the Sabbath day crystal clear. So what have we learned about how we should treat the Sabbath as we and, and avoid getting caught up in the do's and don'ts. When I married my wife, Erin, we both had different Sabbath right. day expectations. <laughs> so when we were married, she'd be like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Sometimes the things that we were set up as laws uh, aren't what the Lord right. wants us to be doing. And if we can take it maybe a step further, how do we get into this text and see how the Savior uh, is looking at this? So it's interesting because in verse two of Matthew chapter 12, when the Pharisees saw it again, the uh, apostles taking the wheat in the field, uh, they said unto him, behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. And so you see, okay, that's, that's what's wrong. And then the Savior responds and he says, have you not read what David did? when he was hungered and they that were with him, quoting from 1 Samuel and an experience where David actually does that which is unlawful by going into the temple mm -hmm. and eating the food that was for the priest to eat. And so the Savior starts to say, wait a second, what do we see in scriptures? What do we see in the past where sometimes these laws that we've built, they actually don't always apply in every situation. And, uh, and so the Savior is saying, I want you to pause and reflect in your own life. So we've been talking a lot about specific things to do on the Sabbath. Uh, we had a question that came in from one of our viewers that kind of adds a little bit to this discussion. I would love to get your thoughts on it. My name is Abby and I live in Texas. My question is, how can I better prepare for the Sabbath day and then carry that spirit and peace that I feel with me throughout the rest of the week? I love that question because it takes it away from not only the Sabbath, but carrying it on to the rest of the week. Taylor, what are some of your thoughts on how we can help Abby answer her question? And perhaps what are some things that you do? So it makes me think about the sacrament. So this is one of the key activities of 
the weekly Sabbath is where we go back to church and join in a congregation of those seeking to be in relationship with God. And at the sacrament table, we renew or we re-promise to God that we will always remember him. And as we do that, we have the promise of always having his spirit to be with us. It's such a simple promise. And so as we think about, are we intentionally preparing for the sacrament? And then what is our plan for the week? We should think to ourselves, what could I do every day? How could I begin my every day? Maybe instead of opening up my phone or my computer to see what the world is gonna tell me about what to think about, maybe I have a reminder for myself, a pop-up that reminds me that today I will remember Jesus. Are there specific things that you do within your family to kind of keep that uh, you know, remembrance uh, throughout that whole week? Well, we try to get our kids to think about the sacrament the very way we've talked about. And then when we do engage in scripture study, sometimes asking them, do you remember when we partake of the sacrament, what did you promise God? And what are you doing today or tomorrow to make sure you do remember Jesus? So Josh, we've talked a lot about uh, some of these things that the the Pharisees are being critical of Jesus. And then we have um, some examples that Christ is gonna give of those specific things that he does. And then this declaration about him being the Lord of the Sabbath. Can we talk a little bit about those things? Yeah, absolutely. So as we see, the the Savior is um, doing these things and is questioned by the Pharisees. Uh, But the Savior says this, He starts uh, in verse 7 by quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And he says, But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. So he starts by quoting a scripture. And in Hosea, the context is is Hosea is condemning the people for caring more about the ritual and the actual outward ordinance and not enough about it changing them inwardly. And so that that quotation of Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 is so impactful because then he leads into verse 8 in Matthew chapter 12, for the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. This is the Savior taking back the Sabbath day. You've created all of these lists. You've created all of these laws. Now I'm going to say what's actually important. And so then he's going to depart the synagogue and then he's going to show by example what is important on the Sabbath day. So, you know, as a Savior is teaching, he gives an example of a, a tree and fruit. And I grew up in Arizona where there were orange, blo- orange tree blossoms everywhere. And I love that smell. So we have this tree, it's called a mock orange, and it produces these blossoms, but no oranges. So if you were blindfolded and you walked in my backyard, you would think you were about to pick an orange off of an orange tree, but it's not because of the fruit that it produces. So what is he trying to teach us about the words that come out of our mouth as it, as it pertains to what's on the inside? Yeah, and Ben, that, that reference to the, the things that are going out here in Matthew 12, 35, it says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Now, treasure there is like a storehouse, right? Is being treasured up. So connecting it back to Luke 11, what we see, the eye that the Savior's talking about, is what we consume. Mm -hmm. And if we're only consuming darkness or evil things, 
it's going to become evident in the way that we speak okay. what we are. And are we a good fruit, a tree producing good fruit or a tree producing bad fruit? And you'll do good and you'll on do the good. Sabbath because of what's in your heart. Exactly. And I love that example with the, the orange blossoms. The Pharisees probably were like that, mm-hmm. is they looked and they smelt like they were doing good things, right. but they weren't producing fruit. So it makes me think, where am I at in my own life today? Where have I adopted the traditions of other people mm-hmm. or expectations of those around me where I'm doing these rituals or actions or I have these ideas in my mind thinking I'm doing the right thing, but I'm actually missing the pure connection to God? I try to use my Sabbath day to think about what are the belief systems or what are these stories I'm telling myself that is keeping me bound down in hurt or anger or frustration or misunderstanding things in the world? And how can I only occupy what is truth? Because God is the totality of truth. And so how can I be more like him and let go of things in my life that aren't true and only consume and speak what's true and wise and thus produce good fruit? I think an answer to Taylor's question is intentionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found, especially on the Sabbath with young children, it can be really hard to have a day of rest or a day that's focused on the Savior when there's not intention there. And, and verse 36 in Matthew 12, so how can I do this? How can I take in good? How can I do these things? In verse 36, the Savior said, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. The Greek word here for idle is argon, which it doesn't mean just idle, but means careless, lazy, lax. So how many times in my life am I not taking in truth because I'm being casual or lax in the way that I'm doing things? I become an object being acted upon Mm -hmm. rather than an agent acting for myself. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation and thank you both so much for, for sharing your insights on our second topic about doing well on the Sabbath. And for the audience, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing uh, your experiences also. And to the viewers at home, we still have much to cover from Matthew chapters 11 and 12 and Luke chapter 11 in footnotes. Stay with us. On Come Follow Up today, I really like how they talked about getting yoked with Heavenly Father, being yoked with Him, and then you can find peace. My favorite part of uh, Come Follow Up today was um, how we yoke with with God, with Heavenly Father through making covenants. And as we make covenants with the Lord, He is yoked with us through our journey and that He helps us and He gives us peace and share our burden through our, our journey here. I think the biggest topic that spoke to me was, or that stood out to me, was the fact that it was touched on that the Sabbath day doesn't have to be a day of do's or don'ts, which you hear a lot of. And the fact that it was more, you know, what is God leading you to do and what's in your heart at the time. And and that's, I, th- I just think that's so huge. Taylor talked about it being a holy day, but also like a holiday. And I thought that was so cool um, comparing those two that it's not only a day of rest, but also something to make holy, but also kind of like a holiday. Taylor brought up a Sabbath day means to like a serve day. It can be a good day of, of service. And I thought that was really good. I thought that was a good emphasis on the Sabbath day overall. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions 
about the Lord's yoke and the Sabbath day. Now let's get into these and other passages with Taylor and Josh. All right. Uh, well, we have a lot to cover still. Within these chapters, there's a lot of references to the Pharisees. Can we start there and just kind of get a little background on who they are and why there is so much attention on them? Yeah, and I, I, maybe I'll address who they are and okay. we, can, we can go from there. The Pharisees are a Jewish sect. Okay. So they're part of Judaism, but Judaism isn't just one monolithic ideology. There's multiple groups that are within Judaism that are following their practice as best they can. Maybe the best analogy we can give is Christianity. Okay. There's lots of Christians in the world, and you've got cells or sects of individuals who are following Christianity, but in a little bit different okay. way. And so the Pharisees are one of these Jewish sects uh, from antiquity. Now, the Pharisees, they start sometime around 150 years before the birth of Jesus, and they're part of this big revival. What's happened is their country has been uh, under the jurisdiction of really mean oppressors mm -hmm. for a long time, and now they're starting to be liberated with the Hasmoneans. And with that liberation came a little bit more freedom to, well, this is my view of Judaism and this is my view. Okay. And then people are starting to separate. And so the Pharisees are one of those groups that separate at that time, about 150 years before Christ. Okay. In fact, the Pharisees center their view of Judaism and the, the laws of God in the text of the Bible and their oral tradition of how to interpret that. And Jesus is trying to help the people see the truth in the midst of all these different Jewish groups claiming they know how to lead people to God. And one of the hard things is we as students of the scriptures, we don't actually have what all those oral traditions were. Uh, they didn't leave behind, here's the rule book of the Pharisees. And so we sometimes are left to have to piece together a okay. puzzle. We say, okay, so here the Pharisees are saying this, therefore they probably believed in this idea. And so that's what we're trying to piece together. And so when we look at these discussions in Matthew 11, Matthew 12, Luke 11, we have to remember the Pharisees have all of these rules, these traditions that Jesus and his disciples would be familiar with, but us 2,000 years removed, we don't have a full picture of who they are, but we know that they fit within this context. And most of the time, I think when we, um, at least for me, when I think about the Pharisees, there's usually a negative connotation that comes along with it. But when you take a step back and look at their history and what they're trying to do, there's a lot of good that they, that they were, I mean, there's a lot of good things you could say about them. Yeah, they were well-intentioned, just sometimes off base. Mm -hmm. And over time, a series of traditions build up that distract them from the core essence okay. of what God was trying to do. In their attempt to show that they love God, kind of went beyond what was expected and ended up missing the point. Mm -hmm. They started loving the law and not loving God as much. That's and, part of the challenge we face. Yeah. And, and for the Jews, the Pharisees were actually the most popular group. A lot okay. of Jews in Jesus' day are actually very sympathetic and very celebratory of who the Pharisees are. And so with that context, it helps us to better understand that, well, why would they always be asking these questions and why then would the Savior actually address them? Is it's helping him get to the people. Okay, well, that, that helps a ton, you know, learning about their history and as we jump back into some of these verses, we talked earlier about the yoke. Are we okay revisiting that and learning some more things about what it means to take upon the yoke of Christ? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this takes us back to Matthew chapter 11. And with what you said, Ben, let's start in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. As I was studying, I, I, I saw this phrase, take my yoke upon you. And I thought, where else do we get commanded to take something by the Savior? And so in Doctrine and Covenants section 18, verse 21, we're commanded to take upon you his name. In, uh, in that scripture, that's part of this covenant of starting to be part of the, the church is I'm commanding you to take upon you my name. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. So even if we could replace that, take my name upon you. And that sounds a lot like sacramental prayers. Right. And, and so the Savior's invitation is also one of action, not necessarily just receiving something. A, a scholar by the name of Charles Tyre wrote a dissertation on the yoke in antiquity. And in one of his chapters, he actually discusses that words that were used for yoke in early Christianity were also used for the cross that was borne by Jesus. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, um, this is the Savior uh, speaking to his disciples, and this is right after he promises Peter the keys of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And he says this, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so we can see that we're also taking upon us not just this work with Jesus, as we talked about earlier, but we're also taking his cross upon us. And Alma tells that to Corianton, where Corianton's having a lot of struggles. In Alma chapter 39, verse 9, he says, cross yourself. And one of the other ways of saying that is take up the cross. That's what they're looking at. I love that connection. I like also how Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And I hadn't noticed this till you were just reading in chapter 16 about if you're going to be my disciple. So the word disciple in Latin or in English means to be a student of or to be a learner or a follower. And so we need discipline. So to be a disciple means to have discipline. It doesn't mean that you just do whatever you want. There has to be rules and regulations. There has to be a discipline. And this, I'm going to connect this to some other things I've studied over the years. I love the phrase of a master teacher from ancient India. It's called a sat guru. There's three words there. Guru, we've all heard. A guru, mm -hmm. we often think of like a master teacher. Gu means dark in Sanskrit. Ru means light. You put those together, light and darkness. Somebody who has mastered light and darkness has tasted the bitter, but knows how to prize the sweet, can then help lead other people. Sat means truth. So a sat guru is a master teacher, and they are a master teacher because they know the difference between darkness and light, and they can help guide disciples in that journey to find truth in God as they encounter darkness and light in this life. And, we, and you know, speaking of darkness and light, uh, in Luke chapter 11, verse 34, the light of the body is the eye, therefore thine eye is single, thy whole body is full of light, but when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Yeah. And, and what an interesting parallel when we're talking about a master teacher and we're talking about light and darkness and the Savior taking his yoke because we go to John chapter 1 and we know that another name for the Savior is the light.
and, and that light can never be darkened. It is impossible for darkness to exist where there is light. And who better to have light and to be the light of our lives than our Savior, Jesus Christ? I'm going to build on this word learn again that we find back here in verse uh, 29 of Matthew 11. So learning is an ongoing process. We're all children of God. We all have the capacity to become like him. And the only way to get there is through learning. And there's something very powerful all of us have been freely given that empowers our ongoing learning or discipleship. And that's the atonement of Jesus Christ. I often teach my students, if you want more access to the atonement of Jesus Christ, learn more. The atonement of Jesus Christ underscores and underwrites, undergirds, understrengthens all your learning. So if you want to have more experiences with God in your life, learn more. This is, I think, part of what God is, or Jesus is inviting us to do here. So both of you have spent time in Jerusalem. Uh, what are some of the things that, that you've learned as you, you know, as you study these things? How has that increased and enhanced, you know, your learning about what it means to take that yoke upon us as you walk those streets? God would just love to get that perspective, being there, walking where the Savior walked. Absolutely. So one of the, the things that I think was most impactful for me was while living in Israel, one of the things that happened was I was called to a church calling that uh, required me to minister a lot. And in that responsibility, I often found myself driving uh, to the Sea of Galilee to visit members of the church. And I would drive through Tiberias on my way to a member's home. And right there in the context, it's hitting me. Like the Savior, this is what he asked us to do. And I just happened to be able to do this in the place where he asked us to do it. And so that, 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 that labor or that yoke is to bring souls. That's the context. Yeah. The disciples have just gotten their great commission to be missionaries in Matthew 10. And now here in 11, he's like, okay, hey, now we're going to go out into the real world. Mm -hmm. You had the hoorah of the MTC. Now we're going to show you what the world's going to be like. And sometimes you're going to face some pretty heavy challenges that are going to be on your shoulders. So I regularly lead tour groups through Israel, and the intention is to help immerse people in scriptures, to walk where Jesus walked, and to experience more of the gospel on site. And a couple of things happen. People feel more deeply immersed in scriptures. They feel the Spirit, and often they realize, God does not need me to walk where he walked. He wants me to walk as he walked. And I also try to help people come to love the different peoples that live there. Because when Jesus was alive, he worked with people where they're at within their culture. And I find that as I learn more about other people who are children of God, I feel a deeper sense of appreciation for those people. I feel God's love for them. And what God taught about loving my neighbor, I feel like I can enact it when I actually come to understand who are the Palestinians, who are the Israelis, or who are the other groups that are here you cannot love what you do not know. In Israel, the sa Saturday is the Sabbath day. And so church services are held on Saturday. And it's interesting to watch the Jews get prepared for the Sabbath. This is a, celebration is not the right word, but it's a big deal. And it's beautiful to see the devotion that they have to setting aside time in their lives to reflect on God and their families. And years ago, I lived in Cairo, Egypt as a student. I went there to study Arabic. And it's a predominantly Muslim country, about 90%, and they celebrate their holy day on Friday. 
So church members, we had a very small branch of maybe 40 people. We also followed that pattern. We would celebrate on Friday. And the point here is that the day doesn't matter as much as have you set aside time on a regular basis for God. So being in the Holy Land has been powerful, but at the same time, you don't need to be there Mm -hmm. to have God's holiness with you. And if I can share a story that illustrates that is uh, I was with a youth group. I had taken a youth group to Jerusalem and we were just finishing up our Saturday worship service at the Jerusalem Center. And we walked out of the Jerusalem Center and went down to the garden tomb. And there's a big sign that says, here's the hours. And so it says, here's the hours, Monday through Saturday, closed Sunday. And there was a girl in our group who turned to me and said, Brother Matson, I'm so disappointed. We came all this way and we're here, but they're closed because it's Sunday. And I just kind of got a smile. And she goes, why are you smiling? This is, <laughs> this is an emotional part, point for me. I said, it's Saturday. And her, uh, her light just, just came immediately. She's like, oh, we do get to go to the garden too. <laughs> but she had thought because she was so immersed in her heart mm-hmm. was in the Sabbath that when she walked out, she goes, oh, this is the Sabbath day. And so when she saw that Sunday, she immediately paused. Wow. But, but to see that her heart was in the right place. Yeah. And it teaches the point that I think Jesus is trying to get across. You know, um, one thing I noticed as I was studying these, these verses, as we look in um, Matthew chapter 11, we get this experience with John. In verse 2, now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, He sends inquiring. What's a valuable lesson we can learn from John trying to discover that Jesus is the Messiah? Yeah, and as as we just talked about, the heart, where the Mm -hmm. heart is. Um, So here, John's in prison. uh, So he's been imprisoned. He's about to be beheaded. um, And that story will come in a moment. Uh, But here, John's in prison about five miles east of the Dead Sea. So he's out in the middle of the desert. Uh, he's being kept in solitary confinement of some sort. And, but he's hearing these stories about Jesus. And so he says, okay, like these stories are pretty, fan- are pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so you, you pointed out his disciples and go ahead, Taylor. Now, when John had heard in the prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto Jesus, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? So, what we, we actually have the benefit of hindsight. We know how the story ends. We know the identity of the hero of the story. So, but Jesus hasn't, to use a modern phrase, hasn't been fully unmasked at this point. People don't know who the hero is. In fact, sometimes they're thinking they're looking for a slightly different hero. A big thing that's going on in the scriptures is, who is Jesus? And who are we to Jesus? So when I take tours, I often ask this question to people. And it's interesting how it gets revealed here that Jesus is trying to teach people the reality of who he is, that sometimes he's different than how people expected. And I ask in my life, does Jesus ever show up in my life in ways that are unexpected? I thought I wanted this, but I really needed this. And this is partly what we have going on here, is even though John is related to Jesus, John does not have 100% certainty of the full identity of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And to take a macro view of this, uh, a cross-reference I've written next to to that question in verse 3. So, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? In the margin, I've written John chapter 20, verse 31. Now, the reason I've done that is I love 
this verse, it may be the theme of every New Testament class that I teach <laughs> because John actually gives us a thesis statement of his gospel, but he waits until the end. Uh, my graduate school advisors would be very upset with me if I waited till the end of, of a dissertation to... But, <laughs> but they, anciently, they would usually write their thesis statement at the end. Yeah. Which, by the way, connects to the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon thesis statement, the title page, was the last leaf. Yeah. So a very ancient way of how you write. Yeah. And so we get here to the end, and this is what he says. So you've, you've already read most of the Gospel of John. And the author of the Gospel of John writes, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So there's this thesis statement. If we go back to Matthew 11, look at what Jesus responds to these disciples of John. Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. He does the exact same thing that John does. He says, go tell him what I did. And that's how he's going to know for himself. The whole purpose of the gospels is for us to have a statement of who Jesus Christ is and then for us to go to the Lord and say, is this really the Messiah? The only way we really know if Christ is Christ is if God reveals it to us. That's what John's looking for. Maybe you're a 50-year-old member of the church and you maybe haven't had a witness yet. John is someone you can look to and say, okay, John's in his 30s. And so you can look and say, you know what? John didn't have it all figured out yet. And he's still asking questions. So can I. So for those that are watching, I'm sure for, you know, we have a couple of scholars here. Was there a point where you were like, okay, I'm studying this from a scholastic, you know, level, but I've got to find out for myself. I would love to hear your find out John moments of how you really come to know for yourself. Well, and to be honest, it was before my studies, um, and it, it, it ties into the Sabbath day. We sometimes get caught up and say, well, we don't want to be too rigid because if we're too rigid, that caused problems. But in my life, there was something that happened that actually didn't. Uh, I was 11 years old. I had just gotten done playing in an all-star baseball tournament. And my parents had gone home on Saturday night when the tournament had ended, but I wanted to stay to see the air balloons in Teton Valley and just outside of Driggs, Idaho on Sunday morning. And so they arranged for me to stay with another family, went and saw the balloons, and then we started to make our way home. Uh, and it was the Sabbath. It was the first time in my life I was on my own on a Sunday. Mm. And I said, okay, I'm going to keep the Sabbath day. So an hour and a half into our drive home, they stop at a convenience store. Josh, what do you want us to buy you? And it came to mind, it's the Sabbath. And I said, I'm okay. And we kept driving. And then we got home. And they dropped me off and I walked into my house and I looked at the clock and church had just started. Hmm. And I said, if I hurry, I can change and I can walk the mile and a half to my church <laughs> building. So here's this 11 year old. And I said, I'm going to walk to church. 
And so one of the things that I love about what we see in the scriptures and the disciples and examples is oftentimes having faith in Jesus Christ requires a choice. Mm -hmm. It's just simply mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to choose to follow the Savior. And so on that, that Sunday, uh, I remember walking and saying, I'm choosing. It was that first time I felt at good at 11 years old. Wow. And I'm walking to church. Uh, and what made it all worth it was I remember walking into the chapel during the closing hymn. So I had missed, I had missed sacrament meeting, <laughs> but I walked in and on the back row were my parents standing side by side. And the look on my parents' face when I walked through the door. And, and I said to myself then, I'm grateful I did it for my parents. And as I look back now, I say, that's how our heavenly father feels when we choose him is he has that proud look on his face. And, and I can trace it back to that. And I said, that was the day I said, I will choose to follow Jesus. I will choose to keep his commandments. I will choose to take his yoke upon me. Mm -hmm. And that yoke may include a Sunday where I don't get to eat food or go to a baseball game. But for me, I feel like a lot of things stemmed from that choice. And I, as a parent, I want to give my children that, uh, that, that structure and that guidance, but also that freedom to know that they have to choose it for themselves. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. That's an amazing story. Yeah. I'll ask you the same thing. You know, what is it? What was that moment for you? Like many people, I served a mission, came back, and I thought, if I knew the scriptures even better, I could be better at teaching the gospel. So I decided to get into graduate school in biblical studies. And I could take you to the very spot of the sidewalk at Yale University where after several years of intensive study, incredible learning, I felt the crushing weight of ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And I was spending so much time trying to learn the scriptures that sometimes I wasn't seeing the gospel because I was too busy with the history and background, which is useful. But I realized I need to make sure I'm doing gospel living. Hmm. What has held me firm all these years is the spiritual witness I've had many, many times that God's love is real. And everything we're talking about, it's fun and it's exciting, and hopefully it motivates me to want to live the gospel. But I hope any one of us participating today doesn't think that if I somehow better understand who the Pharisees are, I'm now gonna be better at the gospel. It's, can I really love my neighbor? Can I love myself? Can I love God? You know, we see that by, you know, the, the, when you look at who the Savior called to, to be his apostles, and they weren't the most, all of them weren't the most brilliant scholars. A lot of them were just humble doers that wanted to follow after him. Uh, this has been such a, a wonderful conversation. And I really do hope that those that are, that are watching are, are listening to the knowledge you have, and they have that same inspiration to go and learn, but more importantly, to go and do. Taylor, it's been so great learning from you and just, you know, hearing your experiences. And Josh, it's always a pleasure uh, working with you. And again, learning from all the work you've put in. And thank you for joining us at home for this discussion from Matthew chapters 11 and 12 and Luke chapter 11. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash come follow up. Next week, we're discussing parables and the condition of our hearts as we study Matthew 13 and Luke 8 and Luke 13. Thanks for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 